Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you. I want to say a happy birthday to this young man right here today. Amen. JT, love you, Jeff. We love uh, him and Shannon so much. They, uh, you guys just moving in this weekend to a brand new home. He moved out of his old home last weekend, and uh, I had to hang out with mom, I guess, for a week. And uh, but we're we're we just, Amen. <laughs> Amen. We rejoice with them in that in their uh, new home. And, and man, I told him last Sunday. I know he's got a million things going on right now. Moving out, moving in. How many members knows how tough that is? If you can stay safe through moving, hallelujah. But man, we appreciate you, JT. Bless him one more time. Happy birthday. Appreciate him. He's one of those Floridians. There's some more Floridians over there. But uh, we appreciate. Uh, them so much. Thank you, Jeff. Today, I uh, want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew and just kind of have it there, keep it open, and I'm going to refer to different passages. Um, in Matthew 18 and 21 is where we're going to start. I, uh, in, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is dealing with uh, many things. This is, of course, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where he delivers his inaugural sermon uh, that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and so in Matthew 18, uh, 19, and 20, uh, he deals with some things that sometimes are confusing to Christians, the parables that he uses. Um, but... I entitled this based on the question that continually pops up in these chapters. Uh, time after time, the same question keeps coming up, despite the different people that are asking it. Uh, in Matthew 18 and 21, Peter, the disciple, of course, he comes to Jesus and he, he asks him, you know, how many times do I have to forgive my brother that sins against me? And then he actually suggests a number to Jesus. He said up to seven times. And, uh, of course, we know that Jesus responded seven times 70. In other words, there's an infinite amount of times. In other words, there's no, no number on it. But what's going on here is Peter is just simply asking, where is the bar set? In other words, what point can I finally stop forgiving people? And uh, Peter is asking what is the least that he can do with respect to forgiveness. And so that's why I entitled this, uh, What's the Least I Can Do? Because this question just continually, one after another, keeps coming up in these chapters here. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Amen. Turn around, wave at somebody, hug them, fist bump them, whatever. Tell them, welcome to Grace Point, and you may be seated. Uh, remember that man is the one that put chapters in the Bible, and we're thankful for it. He put verses in chapters so that we could wouldn't take us all day to find where we're wanting to go. But I want you to see this as a continuity and a continual flow of Jesus' teaching with this common thread running through all this stuff. And so after we get through with Jesus in his discourse with Peter about forgiveness, then the very next thing that happens in, as we roll into Matthew chapter 19 in verse 1 is the Pharisees now come to Jesus. And in verse 3, they ask him, testing him, it says, and they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? In other words, the Pharisees are asking the very same thing uh, that Peter did. Uh, and they're asking, what is the least that I can do 
with respect to marriage. They're still asking, what is the least I can do? And they're asking and trying to figure out at what point that they would have fulfilled the Jewish law concerning marriage. And even though the external distinctions between these people are extremely different, yet the same question is coming from a blue-collar fisherman named Peter who's left everything to follow the Lord. And it's also coming from these religious Pharisees, these morally meticulous people that are so threatened by Jesus. And so even though they're so different, yet they're asking the very same thing. And then right on the heels of that, we get another person that comes to Jesus. Uh, he's the rich young man that comes to Jesus, and, and he wants to know the same thing. He wants to know what is the least that he can do concerning obedience that will bring him eternal life. In other words, uh, in all three of these cases, then we're, we're dealing with the very same question that's dressed up in different clothing. How many see that? And, and, and Peter, the Pharisee, and the rich young ruler they're all wanting to know what is the minimum thing that I can do uh, that will get God off my back. Right? They want to know what's passing. Uh, and so in Matthew 19 and verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came to him, and he said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I might have eternal life? Now here's a guy who's been able to pay for everything in his life with money. Okay, he's been able to buy anything that he wanted. Now, can't he also pay for his eternal life? And he's not going to use money, but he's going to use obedience, which he sees as a financial transaction with Jesus. Now, let me tell you something that we always do, and Pastor Johanna actually just mentioned it up here just a moment ago. Uh, it, it's hard to get the right answer from God when you ask the wrong question. Now, I've told you over and over, if I walked down to one of these men and I said, I want to ask you a question, I want you to answer yes or no, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Yes or no, have you stopped beating your wife yet? How many sees the problem not with the man that I'm talking to, but with the question? Because the question has an indictment in it. In other words, I've already got the man tried, convicted as a what? As a wife beater. And so I want to know, has he stopped doing it yet? This is the same thing that you and I do with God. God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? Same question. Same premise. You already got God tried and convicted that God's behind whatever trauma or whatever problem is going on in your life. You, you can't get a right answer from that. Sometimes we wonder why our prayers are seemingly not answered because we're asking a wrong question. You cannot ask a wrong question and get a correct answer. And so the, the, the question is not who will make the cut and be righteous, who will live good enough to go to heaven, but who will admit that he can never make the cut on his own. It's like a high school freshman asking the coach what type of blood type is he required to have, in other words, to qualify to play on the football team. How many knows that blood type is extremely important, but it's irrelevant as far as qualifying to be on the football team? And let, let me say this, uh, 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 obedience is, is extremely important, but it is irrelevant to us gaining eternal life. Can you say amen to that? See, I, I, I hope today, we are, we're always talking about grace. This is grace point. Grace is the point. Grace is not a, a six-week teaching. Grace is not a 
some theological curve we take every now and then. Grace is a person and his name is Jesus, right? We're saved by grace through faith. Not that any of us should boast. How many knows that Jesus saved us? You see, grace is a person. Grace is not some, some uh, teaching. Somebody said, well, I want to teach you a little bit on grace. I wonder what you've been teaching on then. Because grace is the message. It's the grace of God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. And so heaven is not gained. Listen to me. Heaven is not gained with obedience. But it's given to us by God. Uh, now, when this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks him that loaded question or wrong question, then what Jesus does is Jesus plays along with him. In other words, here's a guy that's living his whole life based on the law. So Jesus says to him in verse 17 of Matthew 19, he said, why do you call me good? He said, no one is good but one. And who is that? That is God. Now, how many of you, there's a real popular book called Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? It's in every Christian bookstore, if they still have Christian bookstores around in some cities. All right? The whole premise of the book is wrong. Why do bad things happen to good people? Don't get mad at me, but there are no good people. Thank you for that religious silence. Now, you wouldn't know that when you go to the average funeral and you hear the preachers talk about the person. There's nothing wrong with exalting a person's, uh, you know, accolades and their, their life and, and their benevolence, and, but none of that gets you a ticket into heaven. But it, it is so muddled at funerals, you, you would never get that. If you were there and didn't know anything about grace, anything about God, you would think that guy that they're preaching about earned his way in. He was a good person. You hear stuff like this, I know if anybody's going to make it, my grandmother did because she was a good person. She was, listen, that's the enemy. That's the thing that really is my target today. That's the thing that, that God, uh, through Jesus here, is after in all these parables that he's teaching. And, and we miss it. He, he, he's after that, that, that moral code that thinks that, that heaven is about good and, and evil. That, that, that that's the whole choice between good and evil. And that's not what it is. It, Jesus said there's nobody good but one. It's not between the bad and the good, but between those who know they are bad and those who do not know that they're bad. And when I'm saying bad, I'm talking about that you're not going to, there's nobody that's going to live good enough to make heaven, to earn it. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So Jesus plays along with this guy, and, and that's why that, that statement bothers people. And I, I, I reference it a lot around here. Because, and then later on, Jesus is going to say to this guy, if you want to be perfect, do this. The reason Jesus keeps throwing up the perfect word is because that's what God requires for heaven's entry, is a perfection. And, and, and I've told you this over and over, God doesn't great, 70 is not passing with God. It's not do your best and God will fill in the rest. 30% of you didn't need saving, 100% of us needed saving. I don't talk about people, I'm talking about us. There's nothing that we can offer God that will bring about the life that we're seeking from God. Do you, do you not see that? I mean, you know, so that's why it always bothers people. And, you know, when I tell them, you know, good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. Jimmy, you're going to help me because they ain't going to help me none today. 
See, that's, that's, that's the problem right there. That's the religious mindset of, of American Christianity, and really of all Christianity. We think good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got, it's got, anything, it's got anything to do with that. It's the prodigal sons, plural, picture. We've got one son that goes lives like a hog. Lives with slop and burns his money on righteous living and does all the things that Christians say you ain't supposed to do, right? And then we got the other brother that stays at the house and does all the obedient stuff. And both of them are lost as a goose. The only thing about the son in the hog pen, he knows he's lost. The one at the house thinks he deserves something. And that's the most dangerous position to be in with God is to think somehow God owes you. Somehow your benevolence, your, your, your works. See, when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the very last verse of Matthew 5, Jesus makes this startling statement. He made many startling statements, but Jesus said, be ye perfect. Is that right? Is that in the Bible? Jesus said, be ye perfect. And then he defines the level of perfection, even as, it might, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, Jesus said, you've got to be as perfect as God to go to heaven. I don't know how we miss that. Jesus, that, that's why the Sermon on the Mount blew their minds. Listen, Jesus was not preaching to the morally bankrupt people. He was preaching to the pious people. He was preaching to those who thought that they had somehow lived up to the law and therefore had earned their ticket to heaven. Je Jesus was not coming after people that were morally corrupt. He was coming after those people. He was preaching to the, to the righteous, pious crowd. In fact, a few verses above the last verse of Matthew 5, Jesus made this mind-boggling statement. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. That was the most righteous people on the planet. The, the Pharisees kept all the rules, seemingly. They, they, they did all these public things. All, I mean, they kept all the rules. They, I mean, and Jesus said, you've got to be more righteous than these guys if you ever going to enter into heaven. That, that's why they were like, well, they, nobody can make, nobody can live this. Well, you're finally getting it. You're finally getting it. You know what? The law, Jesus was preaching the law to them. Why? Because they were Jews and they were under the law. And so Galatians says Jesus was born under the law to redeem those under the law. The greatest law preacher that ever lived was Jesus. Moses was not the greatest law preacher. Jesus was. Jesus, they had watered down the law. Jesus elevated the law up to its real moral code. They said we shall, you know, we, we, we've kept the law. We hadn't murdered. We hadn't committed adultery. Jesus said if you ever hated anybody, you're a murderer. If you've ever looted anybody and left it, you're an adulterer. Jesus didn't diminish the law. He raised the law. Now, I've heard some preachers ignorantly say, well, that's grace. That's what, you know, that's the law and that's grace. That's not grace. He's, he's elevating the law so it will do what the law is meant to do. The law is to make sin exceedingly sinful, Paul said. The law is meant to kill you. The letter killeth, but the Spirit gives you life. And so it's meant to say, I can't save myself. I, there's nothing I can offer God. It's by grace and by grace alone. 
And when you get to that point, you're, you're, you, that's when salvation comes. That's when you, when, when you walk in what grace is really designed. And listen, and that's when grace is amazing. I was raised in a church that literally, and I don't mean this mean, but I, I was raised in a church that, sang, that sung Amazing Grace almost every Sunday. Even if it wasn't on the, on the deal, uh, somebody would come to the platform and sing it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we'd sing a few verses of Amazing Grace. And I never seen anybody amazed in my church about grace. And I never heard one sermon in my church in over a, a decade about grace. And the only time I ever heard the word grace said in my church was when the pastor or the preacher was, was demeaning grace, saying, you think you're going to get by in greasy grace? Greasy grace, they would call it. And, 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 all, and they saw grace as some kind of license to sin and some kind of, you know. And so I, I never heard one sermon about the grace of God, yet the Bible says we were saved by grace. I would think it would be worthy of at least one sermon a year. If we're saved by it, let's hear about it. Jesus plays along with this guy. And he says, there's nobody good but God. Now, now on one aspect, one, one aspect of what Jesus is literally, I believe, saying is that nobody's good. You, 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 call, you called me good teacher but nobody's good but God, are you now prepared to see that I'm God? Because how many knows Jesus was God? He was Emmanuel, God with us. He was God in the flesh. He was standing right there, and, and yet they could not call him God. And if he ever alluded to the fact that he was God, that's when they wanted to crucify and stone him. But Jesus said, if you want to enter into life, then he said, oh, you want to play the commandments? Let's play the commandments. Keep the commandments. And so the guy says to Jesus, which ones? Now, listen to me. Of the commandments, and of course, most people focus on the ten. But of the commandments, there are, we'll say it like this, there are vertical, uh, they, they, there are vertical elements to the commandments, and they're horizontal. When I say vertical, I mean between man and God. In other words, commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's between the man and God, right? Those are vertical. They are horizontal elements that's got to do with you, how you treat other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Th those kind of commandments. So what Jesus does, you know, he says, which ones? And, and Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. So Jesus hits this guy with, with these commandments that he's so familiar with. And then Jesus says, honor your father and your mother and, and, and love your neighbor as, you, as yourself. So what happens is Jesus gives the guy some horizontal, observable commandments. And so when the guy hears that, consequently, he replies with confidence. He, 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 in verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now I suspect right there he broke one of the commandments by lying. Just my opinion. But Jesus didn't call him on it. He said, all these things I've kept from my youth. But I want you to notice something really interesting. He, 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 he finishes the sentence with this. What do I still lack? Why, why are you worried about it? You just said you kept them. See, even in the most religious, there is an aching feeling deep on the inside that there's something not right. That I can't get this by keeping the rules. So he asked Jesus, what do I still lack? In verse 21, Jesus says, look, here he hits him with it. If you want to be what? Why perfect? 
Well, I just do my best, Brother Dale, and God do the rest. Mm -mm. God don't want your best. He wants your death. There's two people trying to kill you in the universe, Satan and God. You just got to pick which one does it. Choose wisely. <laughs> the law kills. But the Spirit gives us life. God don't want your best. God don't want you to try harder. God don't want you to stand on your tippy toes. It's not because you need to read more chapters a day, pray longer, try harder. None of that. None, none of that works. You got all these Christians doing all this stuff that's just foolish religious games. And it's my job to, to just deal with it. I just want to be close to the Lord, Brother Dale. Are you born again? Well, yeah, you're as close as you'll ever be. You can't get any closer than in Christ. Y'all just let me know if I say anything that's in the Bible. You know, just let me know. Just a grunt. I'll take a grunt. Paul said in Ephesians, you were once far off, away from God, lost without hope in this world, you were outside the commonwealth of the covenants of Israel. But now, you have been made nigh, near, by what? Your trying, your prayer life, your Bible reading, your church, by the blood of Jesus Christ. What is it that brought you close to God? The blood of Jesus. What is it that is stronger than that that can make you not close to God? Listen to me. Look at me. I get it. I know you don't feel close all the time. Neither do I. Sometimes I'm driving and people cut me off and I feel like a sinner. I feel like I'm not even saved. Am I by myself? Help a brother out. It don't matter how I feel. God put me in Jesus. If any man be in Christ, where? In Christ, he is a what? New creation. May not look new, may not smell new, but I is new. Because God says I am. Because God put me in Jesus so he could treat me, treat me like Jesus. I'm in Christ. Stop trying to get close to God. Stop wasting prayer. To, I just want to get close. Go get that brother to pray for you. He's close to God. So what you're saying is I'm not. Or you're saying you're not. Go get sister so-and-so in the church. She's close to God. So, so we, got, we got classes. We got first class flight. We, we, we got business class. And we got coach. We got first class Christians, second class Christians, third. Is that what you're saying to me? We got different levels of closeness to God. Some of us are closer to God than others. Is that what you're trying to teach me in the church? Yeah, you've been teaching me that all my life. I'm having to deprogram now. Because I always thought that there were people that were closer to God than me. That's why you want to get prayer change going. Because you think God's like a politician. That if you get enough signatures on the paper, then he'll answer your prayer. That's evil. See how quiet it gets in our Presbyterian church when I bring that stuff up? 
You, you ain't got to get a hundred signatures if a daddy loves his kids. All you got to do is tell daddy there's a problem. You, you, you don't, he hears your prayer. I'm not saying it's wrong to get people praying, but if you think deep down in your gut, and I see it every week on Facebook, that you got to get, oh, we got to get everybody praying. Why? Why you got to get everybody praying? So you really believe that God is moved by numbers and not by faith. Is that what you're trying to teach me with that? Are you trying to say that if we get a thousand people praying versus me just praying for my kid, that God's more apt to answer the prayer over my kid because we got a thousand signatures on the prayer? Is that what you're trying to teach me about him? Are you trying to tell me that's how he is? That he's that kind of God that he's unimpressed unless I get enough signatures on the prayer list? Is that the kind of God you're trying to sell me at church? I'm not buying that. He's not a politician. You don't have to get the signatures. I mean, get people praying. If it, but don't, if your view of God is that he don't respond unless you do that, that's a sick, messed up, sadistic view of God. And that's what the church has, that's what they've done to us, man. I'm not saying they did it intentionally, but that's, I was raised with that. Well, we got to get everybody praying now. This is critical. And I see it every week on Facebook. Let me tell you something. And my heart goes out to people in crisis and sick, kids sick and problems. Listen, I mean, I, my heart goes, but God, desperation is not the same thing as faith. And God does not respond to desperation. He responds to faith. Faith in what? In his goodness that we sung about all three songs. It's in his goodness. I told you it's like the woman, it's like the woman, to, why, why, does, why do we care with the woman that's on the side of the road? J Jesus Son of David, have mercy. Why do we care that the Bible says she is a Syrophoenician woman? If the Bible goes to the trouble to tell you this woman is a Syrophoenician woman that's doing all this hollering, there's a reason he's telling us that. But most of us are, I don't mean this arrogant, we're just ignorant of our Jewish roots. So we don't even know. We just miss it. And see, that's the place that a lot of Christians wish wasn't in the Bible because this Syrophoenician woman, this crying son of David, have mercy on me, Jesus called her a dog. And all she's doing is trying to get her daughter healed. All, this, all she's trying to do, the woman is desperate, got a severe problem, just trying to get her daughter healed. And her, this man can get it done. And she screams out, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples say, shut up, woman. She cries out louder. And, and here, here's your Bible now. Y'all ready for some Bible? Say, I'm ready for some Bible. Here's what it says about Jesus did when he heard her crying out. This is what Jesus did. This is Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. Y'all, y'all love Jesus. It's what Jesus did. It said he answered her not a word. That's called in South Georgia, ignum. He egged her, ignored her. Now how many like you, Jesus? Desperate woman, just trying to get her daughter healed. Jesus ignores her. She considers what she's doing a prayer. He ignores it. He will always ignore the religious. And he will always ignore people that come to him with anything other than faith in his goodness. 
no matter how religious you paint it up, he will ignore that. He will not answer that. He will not reply to that. He can't because it would reinforce your rebellion and your blasphemy. So he answers her not a word. The disciples finally say, send this woman away. She bothers us. Jesus says in earshot of the woman, I have come only to the house of Israel. In other words, I've come to only preach to the Jews. It is not right for me to give the children's bread to the dogs. And don't think this was like, what's up, dog, like people talk now, you know, what's up, dog, and they don't get offended. This, you call a Jew a dog, that's the worst, you, the worst name you could call him. He says, it's not right for me to give the children's bread to the dogs. She hears that. How many like you, Jesus, now? Ignore her? That's bad enough. Now nah, call her a dog. How are you going to paint that up Sunday morning pretty? There's got to be a reason he's doing all this. Ignores her. Now he calls her a dog because she's not a Jew. That's mean. Woman just trying to get her daughter healed. Woman got a desperate situation at the house. She don't care nothing about the first church, second church, third church, or the fridge there. She just wants her daughter healed. She don't care if you're Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Nazarene, Tangerine. She just wants her daughter healed. She don't care where you go to church. She, she don't care which version of the Bible you preach out of. She just wants her daughter healed. All these people out here in this world, they don't care. They don't, they don't give a rear end about all this stuff we fight about in the churches. They just want their kids off of drugs. They just want their marriage healed. They just want their children delivered. They just want their life changed. They just want to be able to pay their bills and live their life. They don't care about all this mess. They don't care about it. She hears him say, you're the dog. Yea, Lord. This is why she replies to him. Yea, Lord. Yes, Lord. What she's saying is, I am a dog. But even the dogs, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. Jesus made a statement to her that he only said twice in the whole New Testament. He only told two different people in the Bible that they had great faith, and neither one of them, by the way, were Jews. They were both Gentiles. The other guy was a centurion Roman soldier, non-Jew, who said, you ain't got to come to my house to heal my servant. Just speak the word and he'll be made whole. Jesus said, I ain't seen faith like this, not in all Israel. And the second one that he bragged on was this woman. He said, woman great is thy faith. Go thy way. Thy daughter is made whole. In other words, why did Jesus all of a sudden turn? Because he busted her religious approach to him. What was she saying? Now we know why he called her a Syrophoenician woman. What does that tell us in the Bible? It tells us she's non-Jew. What does that tell us? She's outside the commonwealth. She's not in covenant. She is not, has no right to any of the blessings. So therefore, since her not being Jew, Jewish, she cannot crawl and pray in the name of David. She cannot beseech God on, based on the mercies of David 
or the covenant that God made with David because she's outside that covenant. So what she's doing is, out of desperation, is she is she's pretending to be a Jew so that she thinks she can get her prayer answered by who she is, not by who he is, by who she is. Don't think we do different in the church. When I was an evangelist six years, they would, I'd be in these churches and they would call up somebody and say, Brother Dale, Brother Young, would you, would you pray for Sister So-and-So? She's got cancer. Okay? We'd gather around them and do what the Bible says. The believers lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We'd lay hands on her and here comes and everybody's praying and I'm praying and they're praying and I can hear their prayers. And, and often this is what I would hear. Oh, God, heal Sister So-and-So. You know, she's been a Sunday school teacher in this church for 30 years. She's been a faithful member of this church. And they start, they start just espousing and vomiting all her accolades and her greatness and her goodness. And they got that all wrapped up trying to get God to heal her because she's a great Sunday school teacher and been at church 30 years. Same thing. You know what God does for prayers like that? Same thing he did with that woman. He ignores them. She's not going to leave healed. Because God's not going to heal you because you're a Sunday school teacher. God's not going to heal you because you go to church. God's not going to heal you because you read your Bible and pray a lot. <laughs> God's not going to heal you for any of that. You know, thing, and I've been preaching now for over 35 years. You know, way back on what started freaking me out is I'd see God, I, I, I'd see God heal like prostitutes. They wasn't even saved, and he would heal them. And, and they didn't come back to church next week. How dare God heal somebody like that? They didn't deserve to be. I've been going to church for years, and I've been praying to get healed, and I ain't got healed. That's what we're after today right there. That right there. That's what, that's what I'm after, that right there. If your version of grace is a Jonah-like version of grace that gets upset because people less deserving than you gets the same grace that you got and it ticks you off, you don't understand the grace of God by which you yourself have received. You don't understand grace. All Jesus was doing was blowing up religion and ignored her, called her a dog, you busted, you ain't no Jew, stop trying to be like, you. stop, you don't have to be Jew for me to, my goodness overrides Jewish, Gentile, or whatever. All you got to do is put faith in my goodness. If you'll just believe that I'm good and I'm better than the church ever told you I was, and grace is better than they ever told you I was, and grace is more amazing than they ever sung Amazing Grace, Then, then healing was going to come. That's all Jesus was doing. He wasn't being mean. He was being Jesus. How many knows now that much you want to kiss him right in the mouth, don't you? That's how good he is. He just ain't going to answer your religious mess. You got to stop all that. We've all, listen, we're all, we're, it's not like we're not trying to be Pharisees. All of us in here are recovering Pharisees. <laughs> 
we're all Pharisees. We were raised under a Pharisee theology. We were raised to think that God, if we do, if we do this and we do this and we do this, then God will do this. And we're just all trying to get delivered. That's, that's all it is. And, and, and so when, when this goes down with this rich young ruler, he, he, you know, Jesus says to him, he says, well, if you want to be perfect, now go sell everything you got and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Now, does Jesus expect all of us to sell everything we got and follow him? Is that, is that the ticket to heaven? In other words, is the ticket to heaven giving away everything you got and being poor as dirt? Is that how you get your ticket to heaven? No. So why did Jesus tell this guy that? It's, it's not that Jesus was telling this guy, you got to get rid of all your stuff in order for God to accept you. Jesus was trying to say, your stuff is your God. And I'm going to go after your God. Because you can't have two gods. And your God now is your material things. So I'm going to go after that. So sell all that because that's your God. And that's breaking commandment number one. And by the way, you can't break commandment number two through ten unless you break commandment number one. Because if you commit adultery, then sex is your God. You see, you just, you just name them. Whatever it is. You, you can't have any other gods before him. The God of mammon, the God of money, you can't do that. So Jesus goes after that. The, the, the brother walked away and said, can you follow this? And Because he had many possessions and, and he refused to follow him. Now, now Peter, you know, uh, he, he, he sees all this go down. And, 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 and now Jesus takes this moment to just launch into a teaching here. And in Matthew 23, 23rd verse of Matthew 19, and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, I again say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, anybody that's ever taught you that the eye of the needle was a gate in the city of Jerusalem, and the camel had to get all that bull, there's, no, there's, not, there's nothing to none of that. There's not, there's not one shred of archaeological evidence. There's no such thing as none of that. So whatever preacher said that, because he heard another preacher say it, and it sounded good, and he put it in his sermon, and it's just bull. There was no gate called the eye of the needle, none of that. Jesus is just saying the smallest thing that I can think of is the eye of a needle, and the, when the biggest animal I can think of that y'all familiar with is a camel. And he said it's easier for a camel to go through that than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. So in other words, Jesus, how many knows that you can't get a camel through the eye of a sewing needle? And Jesus said that's how hard it is for a rich man to go to heaven. And so when the disciples heard that, they were just, oh, well, who then can be saved? Because they, they knew all the verses in the Bible that Abraham was rich and Isaac was rich and Jacob was rich, many possessions, that all these guys was rich, David was rich. I mean, all these people, and it says, you know, the, the, the gospel of God maketh one rich. It says, Proverbs, and, and they saw wealth and riches and resources as, as the hand of God on their life. And now Jesus just blew all that up, you know, the, and they thought, well, then Peter said, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with men, these things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So what Jesus is saying is, with man, with your man-made view, did I get what I earn? Did I deserve what I get? Did I earn what I get? Did I work for what I get? Did I work for it and therefore God owes me? With that mentality, it's impossible. You can forget it. But with God thinking, 
that, I, that grace is far more than I could ever even imagine. Is, and I get that free as long as I don't try to pay for it. With God, is possible. Now, Peter, he, he, he sees that go down. And Peter, you know, he says, well, let me ask you this. Now, we've left everything to follow you. What do we get? <laughs> he won't hit his payday. He said, now that brother took off down the road because he had much wealth and refused to give it up. And now we have given up all our stuff to follow you. What do we get? Jesus said, surely I say to you that those that have left houses, mothers, sisters, brothers, fathers, and brothers for my sake shall receive a hundredfold in eternal life. Yeah, you, you got some. He said, now you guys here, y'all special. Y'all going to get 12 thrones because you're my disciple. And he tells them that. See, Peter saw himself as a polar opposite of that dude because that guy, because he had a lot of money and refused to give it up, he left and wouldn't follow Jesus. Now, Peter, he said, I give up everything to follow you and I need my reward. They're both doing the exact same thing and they both see their discipleship as a financial transaction and neither listen neither one of them really wanted the person Jesus they just wanted what Jesus could provide them and that's what a lot of people do they they they, they follow in Jesus for what he's for the fish and chips you might as well call him Captain D's it's in the Bible the Bible said that they, many of them followed him because of the food that he gave them. But then one day he turned around and said, if you're going to really follow me, now you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it said many of them turned and left that church immediately. Disciples followed him no more. So when that great exodus was happening, Jesus looked at his own 12 and said, y'all want to leave too, you know. Don't let the door hit you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everybody's leaving you. It's a good time to roll if you want to roll. Jesus didn't go chase none of them people down. Because he don't want to be Captain D's. He was already Jesus because he was born Jesus. The Bible said one time that after he fed them, the Bible said they, they're going to take him by force and make him a king. Y'all remember that? Because their bellies is full. Everybody got fish breath. And they like that. Free meal. Let's make him king. But it's just for what you get out of him. That's not, that's not what this is about. That's, that's not what this is about. And, and so, so then after, after this goes on, then Jesus gives them in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. I won't read it all. Then he launches into another parable. Now, he ends chapter 19 with this phrase. Now, listen to me. He says, the last will be first. How many seen that in the Bible? The last will be first. Now, what in the world does that mean, the last will be first? The last will be first. So he ends that chapter with, with that word, the last to be first. Now, he tells them the blessings and all this, but he, he says, now, the last to be first. And then he goes into Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, and he gives them a parable about a landowner, and he goes out to hire people to work in his vineyard, and in this parable, he explains what it means to be, the last will be first, and he ends this parable in verse 16 by saying, so the last will be first and the first last, for many are called but few are chosen. Now, now I don't have time to read all of this on, on that parable. I could take time, but let, let me just take uh, summarize what happens. The owner of the vineyard, 
he doesn't send anybody. He goes himself, and he goes out. And, and the Bible had a 12-hour workday. Started at 6 a.m., ended at 6 p.m. And when it talks about the first hour, is talking about 6. If it's talking about the third hour, we're talking about 9 a.m. in the morning, you know, that kind of deal. So he goes out at, at, at the first hour of the day, and he finds people standing idle in the marketplace, and he hires, the owner of the vineyard hires them to work in his vineyard. And, and he says, I'll pay you one denarii a day, which is a day's wages. I'll pay you one denarii. And they go, yes, and they go to work. All right? He goes out at 12 noon, finds some other people standing idle. He hires them, sends them into the vineyard to work. He goes out at like 3 a.m., 3 p.m., and he finds some more. And then, it, listen, and the Bible said he goes out at the 11th hour. So what time's the 11th hour? 5 o'clock in the afternoon. All right? The, the get-off the get whistle going to blow at 6, y'all. The, the Bible says he goes out at the 11th hour. That means he's out there at 5 just hiring somebody. Now, I would just say if they were close, it took them at least 30 minutes to kind of get oriented to what they're supposed to be doing. So they probably didn't even work but 30 minutes. Now, the whistle blows at 6. Everybody lines up for their pay. The ones that came into the vineyard last are the first to get paid. As they come out, he hands them one denarii. Everybody gets one denarii. Now, the people that got started at 6 a.m., they're a little bit ticked off. And they start grumbling against the landowner. And they said, we have bore the heat of the sun. We have worked all day, and these that have come have only worked one hour, and yet they get the same pay we got. They're like, that ain't fair. <laughs> Jesus says through this parable to them, I, I, he said, be quiet, I've not done you any wrong. You agreed to work for one denarii a day, that's what I paid you, go your way. Now when you read that to an American, they agree with them people. They go, that ain't, that ain't fair. The fair is what comes out here at the mall about once a year. That's the fair. Other than that, there ain't nothing else fair. And if you go out there, that ain't fair either, but anyway. Listen, y'all, I'm about done. Y'all okay? Still love me? All right, listen, 5 o'clock, they got paid the full thing. All God's trying to do is do what I'm trying to do is teach us about grace. Now, he says the last will be first, first will be last. And so these grouchy grumblers, it's not so much that they, feel, listen, it's not so much that they feel like they got ripped off because they got paid what Jesus said he was going to pay them. It's the fact that they ticked off because these other people feel like they got, they, they, in, in these people's mind that bore the heat of the day, they think these other people got overpaid. And that's what really ticks them off. That's Jonah sitting at Nineveh watching God bless them. When he had done preached a sermon 40 days and you shall be no more. 40 days Nineveh shall be wiped off the earth. 40 days y'all going to all be dead. How about that? Nineveh. That's why Jonah didn't want to go, he said, because he knows God's gracious and long-suffering and merciful and full of grace and goodness, and he knows that if he goes and preaches that in 40 days you're going to be no more, then if them people respond to God's goodness, which they did in sackcloth and ashes, and God relented, which means he changed his mind, and God said the evil that was going to come is not coming now because of what you did. 
And now Jonah says, that makes me look like a bad preacher because it's on tape that I said 40 days and no more. And now God don't care what I preached and he's going to let these people live and that's going to hurt my bookings. And Jonah's mad and he pouts and sits out in the sun and tries to kill himself with the heat. And then God causes a plant and a gourd to grow up and shade him. And then a caterpillar, yeah, this, am I in the Bible? Yeah, if y'all read the Bible, you see, y'all can say amen when I talk out of it. And then, uh, then it says a caterpillar, yeah, am I telling that? And a, a caterpillar comes along and, and eats the root of that gourd plant and cuts it, and, 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 and then it withers up and dies, and then he starts griping about that. And God says, you care more about that gourd plant than you do them people. And he said, I want to tell you, there's, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. There's over a million people that they said lived in Nineveh. Hundreds of, of souls. And there's little babies that don't know their right from their left, God said. And you're more concerned about this plant that was shading your head than you are those people there that I sent you to preach to. Because you don't know nothing about no grace. You're preaching it, but you don't even know it. You don't even know nothing about it. God desires mercy, not wrath. That's why God always did. And see, that's why the first will be last. All God is saying is, see, listen, to qualify for this kingdom, all you got to do is admit that you don't qualify. You know what will keep you out of this kingdom? See, the Pharisees thought there's only one thing that could keep you out of the kingdom, and that was disobedience to God. There's actually two things that will keep you out. There's disobedience, rejection of God. You can reject God by being disobedient to God, but you can also reject God by being obedient to God rules and regulations it's called disobedient obedience and nobody epitomizes that any greater than the Pharisees they obeyed all the rules and they were as far from God as anybody could be in fact they were further from God than most because they didn't know that they were further from God they thought their obedience and their religion and their their things that they would do for God had somehow impressed God and that God that they were worthy to be saved the only thing that will disqualify you for this, for this kingdom is to, for you to think that you do qualify for it. And what qualifies you is just to say, I don't qualify on my own. It's like the old song that they used to sing at Forever Altar Call, just as I am without one plea. It's just as I am. I just come to God. I got nothing to offer you, no pedigree, n nothing good that I can offer you. There is none good but God alone. And I stand therefore in his goodness, in his grace. And I say I, I am disqualified. Make me qualified by your blood. The foundation of all this truth is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the price that he paid. He became the one that suffered as someone disqualified so that we could be qualified. He suffered as somebody that was unrighteous so that we could be made righteous. He became sin so that we could be called saints. That's what Jesus did. Would you stand to your feet with me? Y'all, that's grace. The first to be last. And, and listen, I, I don't know if you want to go gut level honest with me right here right now. But one of the things that really kind of, I'm just going to say it this way, that bothered me when, I, when God, over 10 years ago, really, 15, I'm going to say 15, 
plus years ago, really, after me being preaching for decades, really just unveiled his goodness to me in a way that's not stopped yet. And, and But one thing that, 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 that's been hard to take sometimes, and, it, and, it, and I hate that I, that I have felt this at times. I, sometimes people, you know, I shouldn't say as much as I do. I'm a very transparent person. Sometimes I just wish God would get a few people because they've done me wrong. I mean, if they, anybody deserves to be got, they deserve to be got. And I just watch them just do thug, mug, steal, whatever, and they're, they're, they're just blessed, blessed, blessed. And, and it's, it's hard to figure that out. It's, it's not hard to figure out when you know the first to be last and the last to be first. And God's grace is equal to everybody. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach them in that parable is that, you know, you're griping, but listen, the denarii with those people that worked all day, listen to me now, the denarii is not what they earned, it's what they needed. And what grace does is it's not give you what you earn, it gives you what you need. And what everybody in that little parable needed was they needed that day's wages so they could feed themselves and their family. And so the landowner provided them. And, and listen, the landowner himself went out and he petitioned them personally. That's what Jesus does. He, he doesn't send somebody. He, he came himself. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. Jesus came. He, he came himself. And, and Jesus himself petitions us and says, come, you know, come into the And he gives you what you need. Grace gives us what we need, and that's salvation. That's life. What we need is life. And, and, and so that, that's what that parable is about. They, the, all they saw it is, I'm getting what I, you know, I want what I earned. I want what I deserve. That's why when the, when the, when the prodigal son that went out righteous living came home, the, the father stopped him as he was going to start speaking out of his mouth what he had rehearsed in the Bible, that he, I'm going to be like one of the hired servants. I'm going to do this and this and just live in the barn with the servants and, 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 you know, and, and get my three squares a day. The father stopped him and would not let him speak because if he, if he let him earn it, then it wouldn't be grace. It would be a paycheck. The first shall be last. Last will be first. Everybody gets paid the same. And we can't have a heart that we bear the heat of the sun. And I don't like these people here coming in here and being, you don't understand grace then. Because the father wasn't sitting on the porch saying, I knew you'd come home all beat up and broken, you know. Jesus, the, what did the father do when the prodigal son came home? And I'll tell you something. The per church preaches that, but they don't get it. When, when, the, when the prodigal son who had burned all daddy's money, when he got home, what did daddy do? He never said, I knew none of that. Never mentioned his sin. All he said was, son, here is the best robe. Where do you think it come from? Papa took it off of him. Put it on him. He took his righteousness. He put it on him. Here's the ring, which is your authority. You're a full-fledged son. Here, 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 you're, you're, you're barefoot. That's a slave. No, no, you're not a slave. Here's sandals for your feet. And uh, kill the fatty calf. Let's have a party. Let, let's, let, let, let's party on. What did he do? He throw the party. What did the church do when you come back like that? We put you in six weeks of counseling, put you on a year of probation, uh, try to see if you're going to live it, you know. Y'all don't shout me down when I'm preaching good, but it's true anyhow. 
Don't throw them no party. We're going to kind of watch you. We're going to watch you. Ain't no watching in Grace don't watch. Grace just says, you were dead, you were alive, glory to God, let's party. Church needs to learn how to party again. Maybe we'd have more sinners coming back home if we'd, if we'd party more. We'd pout instead of party. I knew you'd come back. I knew you'd come back with a tail between the legs. I knew you'd. How was it out there with that old devil on here? <laughs> By the way, that wasn't a sinner to come home. That was a son. A lot of times a son will look like a sinner, but they're still a son. I've told you I've had people say, well, what happened if that guy had died in the pig pen, Brother Dale? Would he have went to hell? Why, why are you so worried about hell? That's all you talk about, hell. The Bible said he was a son. And when he got mad and left Papa's house, he was a son. And when he was on this road down to right this living, he was a son. And he, when he was living with the hogs, he was a son. And he, when, he, when he was slopping with the hogs, he was a son. And he was spending his money on righteous living, he was a son. And when he finally got sick of that life, he was still a son. And when he came to himself and said, I'm going to go back to Papa's house, he come home a son. And if he'd have died anywhere in between, he'd have died a son. And you need to learn, you need to understand that. Start trying to be the gatekeeper, heaven and hell. Now, all these plays we put on a church, heaven's gates, hell, all that's, none of that's biblical. I know that'll, that'll, choke, that'll choke out some folks. Send me the emails. I know how to delete them. <laughs> heaven's gates, hell's flames. Come into our church. Y'all invite everybody you can. You know why? Because you're going to try to scare the hell out of them. I, I was in the play. They did it at my church. It will scare the hell out of you. They had one door on one side painted blue with a blue light for heaven. They had one door on this side painted black with red lights for the devil. They had people dressed up like the devils and demons that come out and grab people in our church and they'd be screaming and they would wrestle them all the way on this play and throw them in that door and slam the door. And, all. and then we had God standing there and he would look at them and they'd come down and he would look at one and he would look in his book and he would tell them, enter into the Georgia's prepare and they would go skipping in and then he, another person would come down with the children hanging on and then he would go, mm-mm, and, you know, and then they go and they're screaming and the children are reaching for their daddy and crying oh dad and they just drag them off and boom slam the door and then when they get through the preacher gives an altar call and it'll fill up <laughs> even the deacons are getting saved that night because <laughs> they have just scared the hell out of everybody in there and you know who they scared ignorant people people that think that's what the judgment's going to look like people that don't read their bible People that think that you're going to be standing in some kind of line and you're going to have saint and sinner all in, none of that's true. And you couldn't pay me to have that in any church, and you sure ain't having it in this one. Because we don't do non-biblical stuff here. And we don't try to scare people into heaven. Because that won't last. Because them same people that you scared the hell out of that have come to all that night will be, don't, they won't even be thinking about God in six weeks. Because you're not born out of fear, you're born out of faith. And it's the goodness of God that calls men to repent, not dangling them over hell on a rotten stick. And I was in the place, and we did it every year in our church. And I was a young, young married, and I was in the play, and boy, you can just scare them. 
And we packed it out, and we and we would tally up the, the 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 decisions for Jesus. And buddy, we had a lot of them. But six weeks, eight weeks from the time we did the play, there wasn't three new people in our church. I'm not playing none of those games no more. I'm too old and ugly and don't care. I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. If I got to preach on a stump to a pine tree, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Because I've read my Bible. And the saints, my judgment's already come. My judgment was on, pushed upon Jesus Christ. All I got to look forward to when I see Papa's blessing, I'm not waiting to go to heaven to see if I made it. I'm already there. The Bible says I am seated with Christ in heavenly places already. I'm in Christ. How I ain't going to make it? I'm not waiting to see if I made it. Did you make the cut? I'm, I'm there. All I'm going to get is a new suit. Get a new body. I'm already there. That aggravates people that's religious. I don't care. I'm not waiting to see. I'm already. I've got Heaven's guaranteed for me. I have eternal security in Jesus Christ. I'm put in Jesus. Show me something better and Jesus didn't take me out of him. If your sin can take you out of Jesus, it's better than Jesus. <laughs> okay, I'll quit. That last five minutes was, that's a whole nother, that was good there though. I, I don't mean all that mean, but I, I am mean to the really. I'm not playing all them games. That ain't how you save people. Why don't you just have confidence that God's good enough without all that other? And just tell people about the grace of God. And that he's already forgiven them. That he's not angry. And all he wants to do is give them life because that's what they need. They, they, they don't need forgiveness. They need life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. Listen, we've got to have a heart that says, it don't matter how long we've been a Christian. We, everybody gets paid the same. Grace is on equal ground for everybody. Okay? And we're not getting what we deserve. We got, we got what, we, what we needed. We needed life. Amen? Does that help the parables maybe make a little more sense now? Everybody okay? Give Jesus praise. All right. I'm going to dismiss you. Let me tell you this. I'm always up here. These elders, they're watching every Sunday. And we don't. it's not that we don't believe in prayer. Hey, if you want prayer for any reason, if you're here today and you go, man, I wish they would pray for me or call. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm just dismiss the church, but if you want prayer, you come up here and I'll wait on you. And we'll pray for you always. We'll always pray for you for any reason. If you want to say, I want, I want to pray for healing. We believe in laying hands on the sick and they recover. We, we believe in the Bible. We believe in that. It, it doesn't matter what your petition is or what it is. I, I want you to be so amazed by the grace of God. I, I'm still, I, I've been preaching for over 35 years. I have never preached what I preach today. Never. I've never seen it just like that. I never saw that common thread between those three Different people through Peter, everybody trying to just do the minimum. What, what's the least I can do to get in? Stop it, man. It's all by the grace of God, and it's all in God's goodness. And if there's ever a time God's ignoring our prayer seemingly, and where God's this, this, and, and, and if you ever hear God call you a dog, it's trying to come at him with religion. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Just put confidence in his goodness. And he's good enough all by himself. You don't have to bring no pedigree, no, 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 uh, no baptism card. You don't have to bring anything to him to impress him. He's already impressed with Jesus, and that's what impresses God. And that's who saves you.
Amen? Amen. So we love you. God bless you. Let me pray for you, Father. Thank you for the amazing grace of God. Thank you for the salvation and the grace of God that's appeared to all men. Help us to see that amazing grace. Help us to be conduits and, Lord God, sharers of that amazing grace. This in Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Hope to see you next Sunday. If you want prayer, come down front. We'll be glad to pray with you. God bless you.